Welcome to the Servants of Grace podcast hosted by Dave Jenkins. Our podcast exists to provide trustworthy expository messages through the Bible and faithful answers to your theology questions. Now for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Servants of Grace theology segment. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this show. And on today's episode, uh, one of our listeners writes in, and they have a great question. And the question is, can Christians be demon-possessed? And this is a really important question because in our day, what we're seeing is the rise of the occult. We're seeing the rise of mysticism, and so... Christians have a lot of questions about this particular issue. And so we must remember, first of all, that the Scripture is uh, is inspired, it's inerrant, it's infallible, it's clear, it's binding, and it's our only reliable source of truth about Satan and demons. Princeton scholar Charles Hodge says this, No amount of learning, no superiority of talent, nor even the pretension to inspiration can justify a departure from the truth taught by men to whose inspiration God is born witness, he says. All teachers must be brought to this standard, and even if an angel from heaven should teach anything contrary to Scripture, he should be, it should be regarded as anathema. And it is a matter of consistent gratitude that we have such a standard whereby to try to test the spirits, whether they be of God, he says. And so we need to understand what God says in his word. And we need to ask a couple questions. Can demons inhabit or even spatially indwell a believer? Can they walk through an open door and become a squatter? Uh, Proponents of today's spiritual movement, a warfare movement, they answer yes to this. And so what does the Bible say? Well, the Bible makes it clear that such a claim to demon possession by and, and by Christians, can a Christian be demon-possessed? The Bible makes it clear that claim has no justifiable biblical basis. There are no uh, clear example anywhere in the Bible where a demon ever inhabited or invaded a true Christian. Never in the New Testament epistles are believers warned about the possibility of being inhabited by demons. And neither do we see anybody rebuking, binding, casting demons out of a true believer. The epistles never instructed believers to cast out demons, whether from a believer or a non-believer. Christ and the apostles were the only ones to cast out demons, and in every instance, the demon-possessed people were unbelievers. And so the collective teaching of Scripture is that demons can never spatially indwell a true Christian. In fact, 2 Corinthians 6, for example, uh, teaches that the indwelling of the Holy Spirit could never cohabitate with demons when it says in 2 Corinthians 6, 15-16, What harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. In Colossians 1.13, Paul says, uh, God delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us from the kingdom, or transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. 
Salvation brings true deliverance and protection from Satan. In Romans 8.37, Paul says, We overwhelmingly conquer through Christ. In 1 Corinthians 15.57, he says, God gives us the victory. In 2 Corinthians 2.14, he says that God will always lead us to the truth. In 1 John 2.13, John says we have overcome the evil one. And in 1 John 4.14, he says the indwelling Holy Spirit is greater than Satan. How could anyone affirm these glorious truths and yet believe demons can indwell genuine believers? And now let's talk about demon possession and true conversion. In fact, many of the leading voices in today's spirit, uh, spiritual warfare movement are too quick to hail every profession of faith in Christ as proof of salvation. This reflects the easy believism that has swept our culture. A thorough biblical understanding of the doctrine of conversion makes it clear that demons could never indwell or possess a believer. Jonathan Edwards, writing about true conversion, says this, Scripture describes conversion in terms which imply or even signify a change of nature, being born again, becoming new creatures, uh, rising from the dead, being renewed in the spirit of the mind, dying to sin and living to righteous, putting off the old man and putting on the new, becoming partakers of the divine nature, and so on and so forth. And so it follows that, that if there is no real and no lasting change in a person who thinks they are converted, their religion is worthless whatever their experiences may be. Conversion is the turning of the whole man from sin to God. God can restrain unconverted people from sin, of course, but in conversion, he turns the very heart and nature from sin to holiness. And so the converted person becomes the enemy of sin. And what then shall we make of a person who says he has experienced conversion, but whose religious emotions soon die away, leaving him much the same person as he was before? He seems as selfish, as worldly, as foolish, as perverse, and unchristian as ever. This speaks against him louder than any religious experience could ever. In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, neither a dramatic experience nor a quiet one, neither a wonderful testimony nor a dull one count for anything. The only thing that counts is a new creation, Edward says. In Matthew 12, Christ rebuked those who were following him just for the sake of witnessing grace signs. And it says in Matthew uh Excuse me, it says in, yes, in Matthew 12, 45 through 47, when the unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through the waterless places seeking rest and does not find it. And then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it, uh, it finds it unoccupied, swept and put in order. And then it goes and takes along and with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself. And they go in and live there, and the last state of the man becomes worse than the first. That is the way it will be also with this evil generation. And instead of responding with spectacular signs and wonders, Christ addressed the need for salvation. Many people appear to have their lives in orders, but, but they haven't trusted Christ as Lord and Savior. Their souls are unoccupied. That is, the Holy Spirit does not indwell them. Thus, they are open to demonic invasion. That cannot be true of those whose bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, according to 2 Corinthians 6.16. And according to 1 Peter 1.5, when Christ reigns in a person's life, that person is kept by the power of God. 
At 1 John 5, 18, it says the evil one does not touch him. So when the Holy Spirit inhabits a person, no demon can set up a house as a squatter. Indwelling by demons is evidence of a lack of genuine biblical uh, salvation. And this is so important today because what I said at the beginning is true. We are seeing the rise of teaching that suggests that a Christian can be demon-possessed. This is why uh, we as Christians, we need to understand the reality of the war in which we are living in very briefly. And that war is described in Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. And notice, in if you go and read Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, notice that at the heart of this text, the only offensive weapon that's given to us is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, which Hebrews 4.12 says is sharper than uh, a double-edged sword. And this is important because back to Ephesians 6.10-18, notice there that, it's, that the language is used of in Christ, in the Lord, in Him. When you see this language, it's describing, in the New Testament, it's describing our union with Christ, that we are his and he is ours. Now, this is why that we see we can take up the armor of God. We are in him. We are in the Lord. We are in Christ. And so, yes, you know what? This is why 2 Corinthians 10.5, that we are to uh, destroy arguments that raise themselves against the knowledge of God. And we do that. First uh, Peter 5, 6-7 says, By humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God. This is why we have been given a new, we are new creations, 2 Corinthians 5 tells us. We are, we are to do what uh, Colossians 3 tells us, and to put off the old man and to put off the new man, because we are in him. We are in Christ. We are in the Lord. We have been given a new nature. We have been given a new purpose. We have been given a new mission. And that is all because of Christ. Because when Christ said in John 19.30, it is finished, he tore the veil from the top to the bottom. That means that what once uh, barred us from the presence of God, but for the high priest entering once a year after he was ritually and ceremonially clean, now, because Christ has torn the veil in two, we who were once far off, Paul says in Ephesians 2, are now one new man in Christ, Jew and Gentile, slave, and everybody is made new in one new man in Christ. That's how Christ sees us, because of the imputed righteousness of Christ. We are his, he is ours forever and always, and we, together as this new man, will worship him in the splendor of his might and the, his majesty forever when we are in heaven together worshiping before the throne of God. And yet in the now, we can, we can tell other people we are to make disciples who make disciples to do the work of an evangelist and so much more. And we are to grow. We are to grow as Second Peter 3.18 says in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So as First Peter 5 tells us, the devil prowls around like a lion seeking whom he may devour. And yet... We have one in the Lord who is greater. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And he is soon returning. So as 2 Timothy 4.8 says, Let's eagerly long for that day. Let us look forward to it. And let us trust our King. And let us pursue 
faithfulness to him now and uh, as we make disciples as defined and described in his word. So I want to thank you for listening or watching this episode of the Servants of Grace Theology segment. May the Lord richly bless you and keep you until next time. Thank you for listening to the Servants of Grace podcast today. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, leave a rating on the app, and share our episode with your friends and family. If you'd like to, you can follow us on Instagram at Servants of Grace, on Twitter at Servants of Grace, or by searching Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this podcast on the front page of our website at servantsofgrace.org.